I read about a couple that was embroiled in conflict, fussing and fighting, so they decided to give each other the silent treatment. They just weren't speaking to each other, and each of the uh, parties of the marriage were determined not to break the silence first. But the man realized he needed his wife's help. He was leaving the next day on a really early flight for business. So before he went to bed, he wrote on a note, please wake me up at 5 a.m., and he handed her the note. The next morning he woke up, it was 9 a.m. He realized he was late, the flight had departed, he wasn't going to make it. And he was angry. He started to get out of his bed to go fuss at his wife, and he noticed a note by his bedside. And the note read, it's 5 a.m., wake up. (laughs) They were determined not to be the first one to give in. And that couple could use the truth that we're going to talk about this morning. We are working through a series on marriage called Four Words for Your Marriage. And we've talked about the idea of covenant. And we've talked about the idea of unconditional love and respect. This morning, the third word for your marriage is the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. And to show you the biblical call to forgive, I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we talk about forgiveness, and without forgiveness, your marriage will not be healthy, happy, or holy. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 26. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Now, Uh, This is unusual for me, but we're going to jump right into the middle of a passage. I'll step back in a few moments and kind of establish the context, but we're going to just kind of jump right in and, and look at a couple of verses that deal with our theme this morning. It begins there in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now fast forward to verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to gather as a faith family to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we ask in these moments as we study your word that you would draw near. We pray that you would take your word by your spirit and apply it to our hearts, that our Our lives might be changed. 
Lord, that we would understand your word and have the inclination to respond to your word. So, Holy Spirit of God, do a mighty, mighty work in our midst. Help us in these moments to understand more fully the glory and the power of the gospel. And the glory and the power of the gospel related to our marriages. And we'll thank you and praise you, Lord, for that grace. We offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The third word for your marriage is forgiveness. I'm not going to spend a lot of time convincing you of the need for forgiveness in your marriage. I mean, we're just assuming that forgiveness is going to be needed. Because when two people get married, you have two different people getting married. Different ideas, different views. And both of the folks in that marriage are sinners. And so there's going to come times of conflict and disagreement, and there's going to be a need for forgiveness. You understand that. Uh, let me think of an example, just kind of a hypothetical example of, of a need for forgiveness in marriage. This is just off the top of my head, just, just kind of just thinking of something off, just off the top of my head. Let's just say that in a marriage, the husband rightly believes that you shouldn't listen to Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving. And he makes that clear to his, to his wife and to his household. And, and let's just say that the husband gets into uh, the van that his wife normally drives and turns it on and Christmas music is blaring. It's going to be a need for forgiveness, right? I mean, you don't see things, you don't see things the same way. And, 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 and that's a silly example. But we all understand that in marriage, there are going to come times where we are on a different page, where we... Uh, do the wrong thing or we offend each other or see things differently and conflict arises and in those moments we're going to have to practice forgiveness if we want healthy happy holy marriages now again that that example was just pure hypothetical all right just so you know that but i want to give you four thoughts about forgiveness four thoughts about forgiveness that come from the Word of God. First of all, I want to talk about the danger of unforgiveness. The danger of unforgiveness. Notice what it says there in verse 26. Now, before we jump into this verse, uh, Ephesians is a letter written from Paul to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. And you need to understand that the end of chapter 4 that we read from is not specifically about marriage. Now, chapter 5, we're going to see some verses, or we saw some verses last week or last time we were together that were specifically about marriage. Chapter 4 is not specifically about marriage, but the principles here that are for every relationship certainly apply to marriage, which, is, well, apart from Christ, is our most important relationship. And so the principles here apply. And what Paul is saying in chapter 4, as you go back and read a little bit earlier before the passage we read, uh, Paul is saying, now that you're a Christian, live like it. Now that you've been redeemed, live like it. Put away the old self, put on the new self, and, and let Christ live his life through you. In other words, if you are a believer in Christ, it should make a difference in your life, right? That's what he's saying. So now that you're believers, here's what your life ought to look like. And he goes through some different issues at the end of chapter 4. And in verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
give no opportunity to the devil. And that this is a principle for every relationship that we should not let anger be unresolved and conflict unresolved between us and another person. And this certainly, again, applies to marriage. That when there is conflict in our marriage, when there is anger in our marriage, we should deal with it and not let it fester. Because the Bible says when you let it fester, when you don't deal with your anger, uh, when you let the sun go down and you're still angry at one another and you go to bed and you're still angry at one another, look what happens. It says if you take care of it, you give no opportunity to the devil, which means if you don't take care of it, you are giving an opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity in the Greek language is literally the word place. Place. You're giving the devil a place in your marriage. Or let me say it like this. Unresolved conflict gives the enemy a foothold in your marriage. Now, you wouldn't open up your front door and say to a a nest of moccasins, Hey, come on in my house, poisonous snakes. Make yourself at home. You wouldn't do that, right? Of course we wouldn't. But when you have conflict in your marriage that you do not deal with, you are, in reality, opening up the door of your home and saying, Satan, come on in. And you are giving a foothold, a place to that old serpent who comes to steal and kill and destroy. If there's unresolved conflict, unresolved anger in your marriage, you are giving the devil an opportunity to wreak havoc. So you've you got to deal with it. Because if you don't, your marriage will be under the, the, the duress of the enemy who has a foothold to do damage. Matt Chandler writes that when you forgive, you are handing your conflict up to heaven. You're doing what God's told you to do, and you're saying, Lord, we're giving this to you. Would you, bring the, would you bring the healing in this marriage? But then he writes, when you don't forgive, you are sweeping your conflict under the rug. So what are you doing in your marriage? When conflict comes, are you obeying Christ and forgiving and handing it up to heaven? Or are you simply sweeping your conflict under the rug, never resolving your anger, never resolving the the conflict, never reconciling with your spouse? If you are not resolving your conflict, you are giving the enemy an opportunity to wreak havoc in your marriage. It's just that simple. So there's a danger to unforgiveness. Not only that danger, but unresolved conflict will affect your relationship with God. Over in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching on prayer, he makes an interesting comment when he teaches us how to pray for forgiveness. You know the model prayer. I love this passage where Jesus teaches us how to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, when you withhold forgiveness from someone... You are affecting your relationship with God. You are are assuring that there will be distance between you and the Lord. Because if you don't deal with your 
your conflict with others, if you don't forgive others, then why should you expect God to forgive you and reconcile with you in closeness and in fellowship, right? So the, the implication is clear. If you are withholding forgiveness in any relationship, if you're withholding forgiveness in your marriage, it is going to affect your relationship with God. In fact, some of you this morning feel very distant from God. You're far from God and you know it. And, and, and maybe, maybe that distance is there because you have chosen not to forgive others. And so there is a great danger in un. Forgiveness. It gives the enemy a, a foothold in your marriage. It, it affects your closeness and your fellowship with God. But secondly, I want to talk to you about the inconsistency of forgiveness. For a Christian, unforgiveness is just, is just silly. It's not congruent with what it means to be a Christian. So turn back with me to Ephesians 4. Let me show you this. Ephesians 4, verse 32 Paul writes, again, context, now that you're a Christian, put off the old self, put on your new, your new self. Here's the implication, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now, if he just stopped there, that would be sufficient, but he doesn't stop there. He says, forgiving one another as or just as God in Christ forgave you. The... The pattern that we're to follow when we forgive others, when we forgive our spouse, is the forgiveness that God offers us through Christ. And the point is very clear. It is inconsistent to accept God's forgiveness and then not offer forgiveness to someone that's offended you. That's just inconsistent. That's, that's not how it works. And, and Jesus shares a parable in Matthew 18 to really drive this point home. Turn with me to Matthew 18. I want to show you this parable, which really makes this point clear. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Jesus has been talking about reconciliation and forgiving someone that repents. And Peter asks the question that we all have thought in some way, shape, or form in verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So Peter's saying, when I forgive, do I have to keep on forgiving? If, if I forgive him seven times, then can I hold a grudge? You know, it's a, it's a, a natural question. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And there's some scholarly debate over the language here, the Greek language, and if that's 77 or 7 times 7. But in any case, it's hyperbole. And Jesus is saying, you don't stop at 7 times. You just keep on forgiving. And, and that, that's the point. There's no end to forgiveness. You, you keep on forgiving. And, and to drive the point home, he shares this parable in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debts. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, to should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus shares a parable to show you how, how inconsistent it is for a Christian to withhold forgiveness. He mentions a man who owed, it says there, 10,000 talents in debt. 10,000 talents in the first century was about... Uh, uh, equivalent to something like uh, 20 years of wages. So think about uh, your household income. Think about 20 years of your household income, how much money that would be. This man owed that much money to his master, but he didn't have it. And he begs for mercy, and the master says, Okay, I forgive you of your debt. And you can imagine the joy this man felt. I don't owe 20 years worth of wages. I am free free, the debt has been forgiven. But then this man goes and finds someone that owes him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii was basically a day's wage. He's saying, you owe me my money. The guy says, well, I don't have the money right now. I'll get it. Oh, you don't have the money? And this guy who had been forgiven 20 years of wages throws this guy who owed him a day's wages into jail. He flies off the handle when the master is told who had forgiven the 20-year debt. He gets angry that he had forgiven someone who was not willing to forgive someone else for much less. Do you see the point emerging here? I mean, in modern-day vernacular, it would be like you owing somebody a million dollars and the million dollars is forgiven and you don't owe that debt any longer, but someone owes you like 20 bucks. You say, no, give me my money now. And you don't let them off the hook. Here's the point of that parable. People who enjoy forgiveness should extend forgiveness. Let me say it again. People who enjoy forgiveness should extend forgiveness. That means if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you should recognize how much you've been forgiven. When Jesus came to this earth, he went to the cross. And the Bible says he became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. That means that he took all of your sin, all of your wickedness, all of my sin, all of my wickedness, and placed it on himself. And on the cross, he took the wrath of God that you and I deserve for sinning against God. But Jesus came to this earth and went to the cross and took our sin and took our punishment for us. Now, when Jesus was dying on the cross in our place, he was dying for all of our sin. Every wrong action, every evil thought, every misguided motivation, every sin... He died for it on 
the cross, your sin and my sin. So if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have been forgiven of not just some of your sin, you've been forgiven of all of your sin, right? And now someone offends you. Maybe your spouse. And you say, no, no, I'm not forgiving you. Do you see how inconsistent that is? Unforgiveness is is incongruent with being a Christian. Those that have received full and free forgiveness should be the first to extend forgiveness to someone else. That's why it says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Which brings us back to the cross. The cross serves as our model and motivation for forgiveness. If you're struggling with forgiving someone, if you're struggling with forgiving your spouse, you need to spend some time at the foot of the cross. Gazing at the cross, reminding yourself that Jesus died for your sin and you've been forgiven greatly. So you should be willing to forgive someone else that has offended you. The old hymn says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count as loss and pour contempt on all my pride. If you ever find yourself in a place of unforgiveness and you're harboring that anger and and you won't let it go and you won't forgive, you need to spend some time at the foot of Calvary. So you can see the, the model and the motivation for forgiving others. So we've thought about the danger of unforgiveness. We've thought about the inconsistency of unforgiveness. But what does forgiveness actually look like? How does it happen? Well, let's talk about the transaction of forgiveness. In Ephesians 4 says we are to forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Let's talk about the, the transaction of forgiveness. Number one, and this is so important, ask God for strength. Over in Romans 12, we're commanded, Christians are commanded to not take vengeance, not to seek their own vengeance. Now, why does God have to say that? Because when we are wounded or we are offended, our natural response is to get that person back. Right? That's why I love Westerns. You know, the bad guy rides into town, and he does some bad stuff, but he gets it in the end, right? You love, you love it. You get that vengeance. It feels good. It's, it's natural to want to get revenge. Forgiveness is supernatural. And you can't do it in your own strength. You just can't. You need God's help to extend forgiveness and keep on extending forgiveness to one who has done you wrong. So ask God for strength. Ask him to help you. Ask him to to draw near to enable you to extend that forgiveness to someone else. You can't do it in your own strength. Ask him for help. Secondly, forgive in your heart first. Forgive in your heart first. Over in Mark chapter 11... Verse 25 is after the triumphant entry, and he's, he's preaching about a, a fig tree and lessons from the fig tree. And Jesus says in Mark 11, verse 25, 
or verse 24, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So here's what he's saying, similar to Matthew 6. As you're praying, forgive in that moment. This is before you go and talk to somebody. This is in the moment of prayer. As you're asking God to forgive you, you go ahead and forgive in your heart that person that has offended you or has hurt you. Ken Sandy, in his wonderful book, The Peacemaker, calls this positional forgiveness. What is positional forgiveness? It's when you forgive in your heart before you confront your spouse and you pray for them and be ready to pursue complete reconciliation as soon as possible. That's positional forgiveness. Before you even talk to them, in your heart, you've already forgiven them. You're ready. You're in a position to, to close the deal. You're, you're in a position to, to fully reconcile with your spouse. That's positional forgiveness, which leads to the third thing. Ask God for strength, forgiving your heart first. But third, take ownership for your role in the conflict. Take ownership for your role in the conflict. Now, before I move on, I want to, I want to say this. There is a such thing as an innocent party. There are people who have done nothing wrong and their spouse or someone else has treated them badly. And they did nothing wrong to deserve it. They were a completely innocent party. I believe that is a reality in some cases. But that is the exception rather than the rule. Most of the time, in, in most marriages... When there's conflict, both sides have contributed something to that conflict. Most of the time. I understand there's such thing as an innocent party, but most of the time, let's just be real, most of the time, both parties have contributed something. And so if we're going to seek reconciliation, we've got to take ownership for our role. Evaluate our own lives and say, okay, here's where I could have said something differently or acted differently or done this differently. And, and I want to take ownership for my role in the conflict. And then you learn to say the three phrases of happiness. What are the three phrases of happiness? I say this a lot of times when I uh, officiate a wedding ceremony. Learn to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? That is a very practical way to take ownership for your role in the mess, right? I'm sorry I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? You say, wait, I don't want to say that. Well, of course you don't. That's why you need God's help, right? Because you don't want to say it. It's not natural. It's supernatural. So ask God for strength to take ownership for your own role. And uh, your own response. And you, can, you can't imagine how you admitting your role can melt a hard heart. Which means that next you're ready to extend forgiveness to your spouse. Ken Sandy calls this transactional forgiveness. It's when you let your spouse know they are forgiven in word and deed. You've already forgiven them in your heart. Now you have a conversation and 
You've, you've expressed your own role in things, and now you're ready to reconcile. And you let them know, I've forgiven you in word and in the way you respond to them from that point forward, indeed. Because you can say you've forgiven in word, but show in your life that you really haven't, right? And so transactional forgiveness is when you say, I've already forgiven you in my heart, now we're going to close the deal. We're going to transact forgiveness, we're going to reconcile with one another. That's how you carry out forgiveness in your marriage. Which leads to this question. This is a big one. You ready? How do you know if you've truly forgiven your spouse? How do you know? How do you know that you've you really, truly forgiven them? Let me ask you some questions. And this will help you to evaluate whether you've truly forgiven. Number one, do you bring up the past? I heard about a couple that was struggling in their marriage. They went to a counselor, and the wife said to the counselor, when we get in a fight, my husband gets historical. And the counselor said, you mean hysterical? She said, no, I mean historical. He, stops, he starts bringing up the past. Listen to me. If you are continually bringing up the past, you really haven't forgiven that event in your spouse's life you haven't aren't you glad that god doesn't keep bringing up our past you know the bible says that in micah chapter 7 that god remembers our sins no more Isn't that good news he remembers our sins no more now this is not because god can't remember he's all knowing he knows everything it means that he chooses not to remember and not to hold it against us now, when you've gone through something painful, you're going to remember it. But you've got to choose not to remember it, not to bring it up and continually hold it against your spouse. I'm so grateful that the Lord doesn't say, Wade, remember 10 years ago? Remember what you did? You're pathetic. I mean, that'd be miserable, wouldn't it? Because God could absolutely bring up my past against me. But Jesus died for my sin. It's been washed away. I've been forgiven completely. And God no longer holds my past against me. The Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if that's the way we've been forgiven, that's how we forgive others. And if we've truly forgiven our spouse, it means we don't. We don't keep on bringing up the past. That's not true forgiveness. Do you get historical when you get in a fight? Next question. Do you talk to other people about your spouse's behavior? I forgive you, honey. Get on the phone. Can you believe it? Can you believe what he did or she did? And you've told your spouse you forgive them, but you're still angry and you want to run them down to others. And that's a sure sign you've not truly forgiven. Hey, by the way, there is never an occasion, listen to me, there is never an occasion where it is right to run down your spouse around other folks. Listen, listen, even in jest, there's a lot of ugliness said in jest. Over in 1 Peter 3, the Bible says that, that husbands are to grant their wives uh, honor 
as fellow heirs of the grace of life. And of course, that's to be reciprocated from the wife to the husband. We're to, we're to grant one another honor, to lift each other up, to put each other on a pedestal, right? And you can't do that if you're running down your spouse to other folks. There's never an occasion where that's okay, where you're making them look bad. We are to forgive and then move on and not keep talking about the situation to other people. You say, Wade, well, I want to talk to other people. Well, try talking to God. Try that. Because have you found out the secret that it's hard to be mad at somebody you're praying for? You discovered that? And listen to me. The Bible says that when you take your anxiety to God, Philippians 4, he lifts the anxiety from you and replaces it with peace. So when you forgive and you're still struggling, go talk to God, and he'll give you peace in the midst of that situation. People can't do that for you. How do I know if I'm truly forgiven? Am I talking to other people about my spouse's behavior? And here's the third question to know if you've truly forgiven is the relationship restored to put another way are things back to normal or is there still a little coldness in the marriage i've said i've forgiven them i want to make them pay a little bit more yeah i i'm just i'm just not ready to be back like things were and and there's just a little bit of distance there and 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 you know is the relationship really restored are we back to enjoying marriage and having fun and loving each other and spending time together. Are we back to that? Is it restored? If the relationship's not restored, true forgiveness hasn't happened, right? Hasn't happened. So, those are some ways to know if you have been truly forgiven, the transaction of forgiveness. But there's a, a, a fourth truth I want you to see, a fourth heading as we talk about forgiveness. That is the results of forgiveness. The results of forgiveness. What happens when you forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you? What what are the results? Well, first of all, bitterness is healed. Bitterness is healed. Back in Ephesians 4, right before we were reminded to forgive each other, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So notice... As you extend forgiveness, you are laying aside bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, malice. These attitudes and actions that want to get your spouse back. You're laying those things down. And when you truly forgive, when you truly extend forgiveness, that bitterness begins to heal. And you understand, don't you, that bitterness, to live in bitterness is, a, is, a, is an awful thing. It affects you more than it affects other people. And soon that root of bitterness, as it says in Hebrews 12, will begin to produce fruit. And it's a miserable way to live. Bitterness, holding on to things. Forgiveness helps you to, to be healed from that bitterness and, and move forward. Secondly, joy is restored. Joy is restored. Forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. Hey, listen, when you were saved, were you joyful? When you understood what it meant to be freely and fully forgiven, was there any joy in your life? Of course. David speaks in Psalm 51 of the joy of his salvation. He asked God to restore the joy of his salvation. And when our marriage 
experiences the grace of forgiveness between spouses, that marriage can recapture the joy. And joy is a much better way to live than living with bitterness. Joy is restored. Next, your marriage will be stronger. Your marriage will be stronger. Over First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, there's an interesting verse here, and it's not specifically about marriage. Uh, Peter's writing to Christians scattered throughout first century Asia Minor, going through deep persecution for their faith. But he makes a, a comment about their trials that applies to marriage. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when you go through a trial, that trial is like a fire that burns impurity away from metal. You know that when you, when you subject a metal to fire, it, it burns away any impurity, and the metal comes through the fire purer. And he's saying to these Christians in Asia Minor, when, when you go through the trial, if your faith is genuine, if, if it's the real deal, if you pass the test, your faith will be stronger, purer, because that fire has burned away any impurities. And that certainly applies to marriage. Did you know that a marriage in God's hands is a sanctifying instrument? God uses marriage to change us. Did you know that? To deal with our selfishness and our pride. And when your marriage experiences the, the fires of conflict, if you will do the right thing and forgive and you come through that conflict showing the genuineness of your faith, that fire of conflict will have burned some of the impurity away. And your marriage will be purer. It'll be stronger because of the conflict. Isn't that awesome how God does that? He can use the trial to burn away stuff that doesn't belong in your marriage. And so your marriage will be stronger if you'll do the right thing and forgive. And then Christ will be glorified. He says there in verse 7 of 1 Peter 1 that, that your faith, the, the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you go through a fiery trial and, and you demonstrate that your faith is genuine, it honors Christ. It glorifies Christ. And that certainly applies to marriage. If you're experiencing conflict and you do what Christ has told you to do and you forgive and Christ begins to heal and you come through that conflict reconciled, Jesus gets the glory. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. And this next statement was worth you coming to church today. So you ready? Ultimately, ultimately, your marriage is not about you. It's a picture of the gospel. It's not about you. So if we're holding on to bitterness and conflict and fussing and fighting, we're not showing people this picture of the gospel. We're not showing people that 
the, the, the grace of God is sufficient for two believers to forgive and move forward. But when you forgive and God heals hurting hearts, Jesus gets the glory. So listen, it's not about you. Your marriage is not about you. It's a gift from God for you, but it's not ultimately about you. If you want Christ to get glory from your marriage, learn to forgive and move forward. So here's the point of the sermon. We talked about the danger of unforgiveness. We talked about the the inconsistency of unforgiveness. We talked about the transaction of forgiveness, how it happens, and, and we talked about the results of forgiveness. But here's the point. Our marriages will be happier, healthier, and holier when we practice forgiveness. Do you believe that? Our marriages will be happier, healthier, and holier when we practice forgiveness. Tim Keller writes, I don't know of anything more necessary in marriage than the ability to forgive fully, Freely, unpunishingly. I don't know if that's a word, but I know what it means. From the heart, a deep experience of the grace of God, a knowledge that you are a sinner saved by grace, will enable the power of truth and love to work together in your marriage. Forgiveness is a big deal. Now let me say this in terms of how this applies to, to folks in this room. Maybe you're here and you look back at your life and you see failed marriage. And, and you're even thinking, boy, some of these principles could have helped me back in the day. But I didn't know them or I didn't want to know them or I didn't practice them and, 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 and I failed. And honestly, this sermon feels kind of like a weight on me, Pastor. Can I tell you this? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if there's brokenness in your past, all you can do is just go to the foot of the cross. Say, Lord, I need your grace. And would you help me to move forward doing things your way for your glory? That declaration, from this point on, I'm going to do it God's way. And Christ will be honored in that. You know... Jesus specializes in coming to those who are broken and building something beautiful out of their lives. He specializes in that. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation 21 that he, he's making all things new. He's a restorer, a redeemer. That's what he does. He can take your failures and your past and he can forgive and cleanse and lift you up and he can build something beautiful out of your life if you will let him right there's grace when we look back and see failure and there's strength to move forward god's way maybe you're here and you're married and this is a this is an issue right now Maybe one or both of you in the marriage, you're, you're withholding forgiveness. There's conflict. You're on the crazy cycle. It just won't go away. I mean, maybe you fought all the way to church and you got out of the car and walked in and smiled and shook hands. I'm doing great. 
How you doing? Doing great, right? Hey, there have been times on my way to church I've had to call Claire and apologize because I didn't want to get into the pulpit having this distance between me and my wife. And I had to apologize, ask for forgiveness. I could preach to you with a, with a pure heart. We all deal with this, right? And so if, there, if there's that, that conflict and that angst in the marriage and, and, and you feel this, ask God for strength. And then experience the blessing of transacting forgiveness, reconciliation, moving forward, putting this conflict behind you. God will help you if you'll let him. 